0: Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history. Brought to you by the State Historian and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Walt Woodward.
1: And I'm Elizabeth Norman, publisher of Connecticut Explored. In this episode, we feature the 9-11 generation, children whose lives and outlooks were changed forever when America was attacked 16 years ago on September 11, 2001. The 9-11 Generation is a concept and a college course developed by Central Connecticut State University history professor Matt Warshower. This episode draws from two recent talks, one at the Avon Public Library and the second a conversation at noon at the Old State House in Hartford. You remember exactly where you were when you heard the news. You remember that it was early fall and the sky was the bluest blue and without a cloud. Later, you thought, how incongruent that seems somehow, as if bad things only happen when the weather is bad. I was working at home. This was about a year before Connecticut Explored launched. My two daughters, ages 7 and 12, were at school and my husband at work. A typical day. I don't recall, but someone must have called me and said, turn on the TV. An airplane had crashed into one of the iconic Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan. I watched in disbelief as the second plane crashed into the South Tower, the mayhem that followed, and then the towers come crashing down. Those agonizing minutes were, as Central Connecticut State University history professor Matt Warshower says, the most watched television event in history.
2: More people saw that moment than in any other moment in world history uh we know this from uh studies of television and nielsen ratings and things like that uh and it is it was a collective gasp when everybody at the same moment went "Oh," and the exhale was terrorism
1: my 12-year-old was in 7th grade health class as if that wasn't traumatizing enough
3: hi my name is Avery Eddy i was 12 years old when 911 happened i was in 7th grade I remember it was in the morning and I was sitting in health class and we got the news and our teacher put on the the TV the news showing what was happening and we actually saw the second plane hit live, which now that I think back to it seems kind of strange that you would have 7th graders watching that.
1: A girl in her class was, in my daughter's words, freaking out because her father worked in New York City. A classmate of hers.
0: My name is Patrick O'Sullivan, and I was 12 years old when 9-11 happened. I was in the seventh grade, and I remember in between classes, we went to our next period, and nobody was where they were supposed to be. None of the teachers none of the staff none of the adults were in any of the rooms none of them were where we expected them to be so something felt weird and all the teachers were huddled up and i just remember them wheeling in a really big old uh tv like a tv on a cart with velcro strapped to it and they said guys we thought about this and we talked about this but you guys are old enough you need to know what's going on and they turned the tv on and um it was the towers And I believe at that point, uh, both the towers had been hit, and I didn't really know what it meant.
1: Think about it. Millions of people, children, watching the live television feed that morning were not there, but nevertheless were witness to and in a sense part of this as it happened. That's got to be a first. Those of us watching from hundreds or thousands of miles away, we didn't smell the rolling clouds of ash and dust or hear the deafening crash of a hundred stories of steel and concrete or, or even feel the vibrations of the magnitude of that or hear the screams of terror or directly experience the sound of people running for their lives, but we saw it happen before our eyes in real time, unmediated by journalists or government officials, unedited, raw, and real. Later, we learned of the other two planes, the one that hit the Pentagon and the one that went down in a Pennsylvania field as passengers valiantly fought for control. Matt recalls an immediate connection to terrorism. I recall feeling completely confused and not comprehending how this could be happening. Pat O'Sullivan.
0: I didn't really know what it meant at the time. I had lived through, like, Columbine, and some things that had happened here in our country, but I'd, I'd never lived through being attacked by like a foreign entity. Terrorism was not a word I had ever really heard. Didn't know what terrorism was, so it was it was pretty scary. I just knew all the adults were really scared, and they let us all go home early. And every single channel was the same feed. Every channel. 400 channels on the TV, you could just click through and it was all the same feed all night. And um, that's when I started to realize this was something that was changing things, that was going to make life different.
1: As Matt says,
2: The first time that planes are ever used as weapons, as missiles, that's something that had not been previously conceived of.
1: For many, many people, the event touched very close to home. Diane Smith, moderator of the Old State House's Conversations at Noon.
4: For my family, 9-11 was personal. Um, my sister-in-law, uh, I talked about my cousin who worked for months and months uh, at Ground Zero, as we used to call it. Uh, my sister-in-law escaped from the building across the street after airplane wreckage hit her building and, and Blew out windows and damaged the building. Uh, My brother was supposed to be at a meeting at Cantor Fitzgerald that morning. And he put it off, he delayed it. Now 645 people were killed at Cantor Fitzgerald, the investment bank in the building. He put it off because it was my nephew's second day of kindergarten and he wanted to walk him to school. So for us it's really personal. And it goes on because my nephew is now a college senior and he has been affected by this all of his life. And when he graduates in the spring, he will become a Marine officer. And it's part of the 9-11 generation.
1: Matt thinks a lot about that day and how we remember it and how it will be remembered 100 years from now. He also thinks about the impact on the generation that came of age in those years, roughly those who in 2001 were between the ages of five and their early 20s.
2: My theory, my sort of working theory right now, is that people who were about fifth grade so we're talking, what, 10, 11 years old? Through to about college age are the 9-11 generation. They're the ones, and, and, and a little bit before that, um, they're the ones who are most shaped by this experience. So at any given time, you've got four generations running through society, okay? And as one generation, the World War II generation today, the silence, are passing on, the next generation is coming up. And, of course, there's crossover between generations. There's no question that millennials and 9-11 generation people have traits that are in common. That, that would make perfect sense, right? But they're not exactly the same. And the millennials are those who are really coming of age as the millennium arrives. The 9-11 generation folks are starting to come of age as 9-11 occurs. Uh, and then in the aftermath of it think about this age group of kids who are say 5th 6th grade up through college one the, the the beginning of that group is at the front end of adolescence and of just starting in terms of their their social development to see outside their own inner circle and they're starting just starting to learn about world cultures in school and the college age generation, they know this stuff, but they're still in the last phases of their adolescent development. And then 9-11 occurs. And it's the thing that consumes their youth. And so you know, the case for the 9-11 generation that what have they experienced in the last 15 years? Sixteen now. <laughs> uh, the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan, the longest war in US history. Failure of the U.S. and world economies, from which we have yet to recover. Partisan gridlock in the face of foreign policy, economic, and environmental cri- crises. No. A government that has been unable, because of partisan gridlock, to confront and, and deal with the really serious, serious problems that not only our nation faces, but that the world faces. They've been unable to do anything about it. And what does that mean? It means that we've got a generation of kids who question the value of democracy and the effectiveness of the democratic political system. That's a scary idea. Now, you might go, well, but we've had crises in American government before where we've really questioned the, the validity and the honor, perhaps, of the American political system. Vietnam is that time, isn't it? How many of you marched against the Vietnam War or were involved in civil rights? Okay, So you went out, you let your voices be heard, you marched in the street, and what ended up happening? The war in Vietnam ended. You got uh, the civil rights movement was pushed through. Government, you know, we had a president resign. You get the passage of the War Powers Act in 1974 to control the degree to which our government can go to war just in a wholesale fashion. So that generation finds out that, wow, democracy in action, the people in the street can make a difference. This generation, they haven't seen that. And they actually have questions about, you know, what's so great about democracy? That, to me, is perhaps the scariest thing in this whole 9-11 9-11 generation issue. Uh, the impending threat of world Islamic terrorism. Okay? We haven't been able to, to really confront and deal with that. We do not have an answer to it. The 9-11 generation's worldview has been shaped by the attack on the World Trade Center and by Osama bin Laden. Okay? So now think about it. They, Osama bin Laden is all over the news in the aftermath of 9-11. This generation, especially the younger end of it, He's the boogeyman. He's literally the boogeyman for them. I've, I've talked to parents about this, of kids from this age, and I've started telling them my theory, and they look at me and go, oh my gosh, you're describing my kid. I have a friend whose daughter was terrified not only of Osama bin Laden, but of Muhammad Atta as well, who was the leader of the, uh, of the nine eleven attacks And was on Flight 11 that went out of Boston And hit the North Tower, hit the first tower and, and when I say he's the boogeyman I mean it I mean that these kids, many of these kids Go to bed at night And they want the closet checked And they want under the bed checked Not for a monster But for a monster But this monster is a real monster Not a make-believe monster It's Osama Bin Laden And It consumes their imagination, absolutely consumes their imagination. And this is very important for what comes later. And I'll I'll give give you a heads up. And that is, what is the most important event for kids between 18 and 33 on television? The death of Osama bin Laden, the death of the boogeyman. It is a release for them that he has been killed. And so the boogeyman is gone. And so CNN states, you know, they learned as children that the war is a scary place where strangers with hatred in their hearts steer planes into buildings. Grown ups cry for days and everything can change in an instant. They grew up with color-coded terror alerts and long lines at airport metal detectors. They saw the economy sputter. And still, the bad guys appeared to get away with it. Osama bin Laden was their boogeyman, the monster under the bed. And I just want to say for the record that I thought of this Osama bin Laden being the boogeyman and the monster under the bed before I saw this CNN article, okay? I, just want to, I didn't get it from them, all right? But the reality is the mission isn't accomplished. And now we see the outgrowth in the aftermath. The fact that Osama bin Laden is dead, has al-Qaeda finished? No, and in fact, it's gotten even more ramped up into ISIS, which is, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, Al Qaeda on steroids. 15 years after 9-11, my generation's war hasn't ended. So this is by a, a guy who went and fought. Uh, he writes this article and his, he, he states this. A select slice of America has borne the trauma and sacrifice of the past 15 years of the war. The volunteer fighting force comprises about 0.5% of the total US population. Less than 8% of the U.S. population has served in the armed forces, and only one in five members of the U.S. House and Senate is a veteran, compared with three out of every four in 1971. That's a big difference for the United States as well. Um, this, uh, the the uh, Iraq and Afghanistan wars are the very first wars in American history, in which no tax was put in place to cover the cost of the war and no bonds were sold. Traditionally in American history, every single one of our wars has been paid for in three ways. Taxation, selling government bonds to pay for the war. Remember World War II, one of the big things, World War War I as well, bond drives, right? All of the bond drives that are out there. Number three is putting it on the credit card. In this war, we put Everything on the credit card. We have an entirely volunteer army that takes the brunt of this war. Deployment after deployment after deployment. Where is the rest of of America? Where do they stand up? What are we expected to do except for put up signs that say we support our troops? That's what we do. There's no larger effort. To, you know, in World War II, they did victory gardens, they did scrap drives, they did all kinds of things, many of which weren't actually necessarily integral to the the war effort, but it brought the public together. And one of the things that was asked of George Bush in the immediate aftermath of 9-11, he said, what, you know, what can the American people do? And his answer was go shopping. Okay. And because we need to get the economy back on track.
1: In 2016, CNN interviewed some of the 3,000 children of people who died on 9-11. Matt read selections from a few of those interviews.
2: So here are some people from the 9-11 generation. eh? Sonali Bevan, 20 years old, she said, my life's ambitions are centered on what I witnessed in the aftermath of 9-11. I saw suffering, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, and a failure of many to cope with these problems. I hope to be an adolescent clinical psychologist and give teenagers and young adults a platform for discussion. Brendan Fitzpatrick, 17 years old. I think it's really important that we all stay positive and that we all try to have a good outlook on the world. It's really hard considering how many awful things are happening in the world right now, but the more positive we stay, I feel, the more we can try and spread peace and stop these things from happening. Uh, Aaron Siegel, 31, I find myself wondering how my dad would feel looking at the world today. I think he'd be angry and disappointed with the way we as a nation have responded post 9-11. The amount of fear and intolerance reverberating throughout the country is sickening. I'm worried for America and for the world, for African Americans, for the LGBT community, for women, for police officers, for Muslims, We've allowed our fears to sabotage the principles on which this country was built.
1: And of course, this is also the generation deeply impacted by the advent of mass school shootings, starting with Columbine in 1999, two and a half years before 9-11. But it's impossible to generalize an entire generation. Avery and Pat share two perspectives.
3: After experiencing 9-11, I feel like Terrorist attacks are just part of our life now, having grown up in a world situation where something like that can happen, and the many attacks that have happened since then, just makes me less shocked by the acts like that that can happen. I feel pessimistic about the outlook of the world, especially today after we just had another mass shooting.
0: Terrorism definitely became an everyday part of my life and an everyday thought uh, from 9-11 on, and it still is. And I think now we need to call terrorism what it is in every form and every way. And there's a lot of terrorism that's not called what it should be. And, uh, you know, I felt very safe before that. And that was sort of the end of innocence for a lot of people. And even at that age, everywhere we went, we felt that over our shoulder. And um, I was in high school when they finally got bin Laden. And that was cool. We felt really disappointed and not too trusting of our government for the fact that they still hadn't found him. I mean, that's years and years went by. And I just remember... Where I was, I remember being in science class, and I was a freshman in high school, and it was coming up on the internet. It was coming up on all our internet feeds, and that was big. I try not to be overly pessimistic about democracy and its current state and the government. Um, It can get you pretty lost if you go too far down the rabbit hole. So I do think we live in an age of activism. I think that kids now, it's become cool to care it used to not be it used to be you were a radical type of person if you were talking about politics in a regular place and all of a sudden it's become all people want to talk about and that's kind of cool that our generation is actually out there you know doing something about it and trying to decide what we want democracy to be uh the most pressing issues for me in my life are economy things are more like You know, wage gaps and um, the redistribution of wealth and the 1%. I mean, that's stuff that matters to us and we feel like we got a raw deal. I know kids now, it's a whole different thing. Homeownership, just supporting yourself is different on the wages now and the way money works. And a lot of us feel like we got a raw deal because our parents could just get out of high school and raise kids and buy a house and buy a car with what they were making and that's not really how things are now and to me that's something I'm dealing with more and more you know as opposed to just being afraid of terrorism.
1: Matt thinks about the students coming to his 9-11 class.
2: I was in my class teaching this past Thursday I'm teaching my 9-11 class again it's a 100 level course it's from freshmen to seniors every conceivable major at the university and uh, I was teaching the class last Thursday, and it just sort of hit me in the midst of class. I thought, you know what? In another two years, these kids are going to have absolutely no memory of the event and no emotional connection to it whatsoever. And they're going to view taking this course as, oh, it's just another history course. Okay? Maybe it won't be quite that severe. I think they'll still recognize the importance of it. But that's where we're, that's where we're headed. Last year was the first all-freshman high school class that came into high school that was born after 9-11. So this year, think about that. Half of all high school students in the United States were born after the event. So what does that mean? I'm in my class uh, last week and I was teaching them and you know, most of the kids in that class were you know, three or four when this event occurred, and I asked them, what do you remember? That answer has been changing over the last two, three years. They don't remember as much. But what they generally remember is, I remember my mom picking me up from school, or my dad picking me up from school. I remember my teachers crying. I, I'd never seen my teachers crying and upset before. So that's the memory. And I, it hit me in class last week, as I was talking to these students, that in another two years, as I stay, Well, I don't stay the same, I grow older. As I grow older, but I stay in my position teaching a similar course, my students are that same demographic age. Two years, they're not gonna have any memory of this event at all. But they wanna take this 9-11 course because they know that it's really important. They don't know the history but they know that the subject is important. They know that this event has touched their lives in ways that they can't even begin to tell you. And then when they take the course, it's, you know, we watched on Tuesday, we watched a film, uh, the first half of a film called uh, 102 Minutes That Changed America. It's a remarkable documentary film. It is, watching this is as close as you will ever get to experiencing what happened on that day. And I tell my students that, and I, I try to build a rapport with the students over the first couple of weeks, three weeks of class. I don't want to show them that film immediately because it's, it, it, it can impact you. I, I've watched the film probably six or seven times and every time I watch it, I still get a sinking feeling in my stomach. And so, you know, I watched my students as they watched this film on Tuesday and they were absolutely mesmerized to have 36, 37 college-age students who are non-history majors sitting there watching a documentary film and not dozing off or not playing with their phone, but every one of them like this, watch, looking at the screen. They, they, they are fascinated by the subject. They're fascinated by all facets of the subject. It's not just about the attacks. I utilize the class to go backwards in time and to look at World War I and World War II and talk about American foreign policy and the concept of American intervention uh, versus isolation. And, you know, it, all of the subjects play directly into what's happening in our world today.
1: Dr. Bilal Sekou, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Hartford.
5: And as I, you know, like to talk to the students and I often say to them that, you know, we now have a kind of security state that has been normalized for many of us. Cameras are everywhere, the idea of walking through an airport and having to take off your shoes, your belt buckle, you know, change your wallet, hold your hands up in the air. That's become very normal set of activity now and it doesn't sort of shock us Um, or shock the system the way it should, given the fact that some of us were able in the past to go straight to the place where our family and friends got off the plane and got on the plane. And so in that sense, you know, it's pretty amazing about how the memory of the moment has certainly, you know, uh, uh, gone away for a lot of people or never came for a lot of people, but the implications of it, right, are all around us, it permeates our society, and it impacts us um, in how we sort of think, approach the world, approach relationships with other people, our foreign policy. I mean, I don't think we really grasp completely just how much that day has really impacted our society and our world.
1: Matt, speaking more in terms of history and memory, agrees.
2: One of the things I argue to my students quite often is that the history of 9-11 is not done. It's not over. And what was the comparison made? You know, when 9-11 occurs, what do a lot of people go, oh, when was the last time the United States was attacked? And what does everybody say? Pearl Pearl Harbor. There you go. So Pearl Harbor has a finite beginning and a finite end. When we have victory in Japan day and Japan surrenders, Pearl Harbor ends. It's not that the memory of Pearl Harbor ends, but... The, the actual, you know, you've got bookends. There's a clear beginning. There's a clear end. We defeat our enemy. Is that where we are with 9-11? Not at all. We're still at war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, President Trump has just, you know, what, in the last three weeks said, we need to send more troops to Afghanistan. So this war is ongoing. And as long as the war continues, the history of 9-11 continues to shift and change.
1: To learn more about Connecticut's response to 9-11, read stories from our fall 2011 issue of Connecticut Explored, published on the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And to hear more about historical memory and monuments, including the issue of Confederate monuments and issues around remembering World War I, watch the Old State House's full conversation at noon. We've put a link up at ctexplored.org listen. Thanks for listening. We thank Matt Warshauer, Diane Smith, Bilal Saku, Avery Eddy, Patrick O'Sullivan, Avon Public Library, and the Old State House with audio courtesy of CTN, the Connecticut Network. Connecticut Explored is celebrating its 15th anniversary this fall, and we've got a special offer for new subscribers. Subscribe before December 31st, 2017, and receive six issues for the price of four. Use coupon code NUTMEG when you subscribe at ctexplored.orgslash shop. The fall 2017 issue of Connecticut Explored is all about breakthroughs in history. Read about the 100 years in the freedom struggle as we mark the 100th anniversary of the Greater Hartford Chapter of the NAACP. Connecticut Women's Fight for Reproductive Rights, The Muppets Move to Greenwich, and the important role of photography in telling the African-American story at the Amistad Center for Art and Culture, and more. Visit ctexplore.org to subscribe or purchase the current or back issues.